Lights and Mitch. G'day, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Lights and Mitch podcast. So today, got something special in, in mind for you guys. So my next guest is a very talented Australia singer-songwriter and performing artist with an impressive list of bona fides. I first become familiar with her work in 2016, and at just 18, she won the Triple J on her thigh comp. And for all the international listeners out there, Triple J is like the public youth broadcaster. And this is a prestigious competition. The high school students can upload their music and go on to, to win and possibly be mentored by a famous artist and masterfully mix a song, if my memory serves me correctly. She's also won a prestigious Vander and Young Songwriting Award, and those incredible achievements were for her song Drive. And since then, she's released two EPs elsewhere in 2016, here and now, 2018, and has had quite the journey since then. She's played massive gigs from Falls Festival to Splendor to playing in the UK and the US, opening for big acts such as Mumford & Sons, Gang of Years, and absolutely killing it herself in the music scene. And brings us up to today with the release of a new album, Begin to Look Around. Congratulations, by the way. I'd like to introduce the very talented Greta Ray. How are you today? Thank you so much. What an intro. Um, yeah, I'm doing okay today. Thank you so much for having me. That's okay. So I know that like everything must be crazy right now, you know, with the with the release of the album and like I saw you on uh, telly the other night with Keith Urban. That was unreal. Um, so yeah. I um I was just thinking. So we'll chat about like your album soon and talk about sort of like the story that like in a timeline. We'll chat about like your time before Triple J. You know when you went up when when you went on Earth High and the journey up towards now. If that's okay with you. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. And so I'm just. First things first, how's things going and whereabouts do we find you at the moment? Oh, well, you find me in um, lockdown number six in Melbourne, Victoria. Um, and it's been like, I guess this week will be three weeks since the album's great. Yeah, I don't know. The album came out a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and so I've just been doing bits and pieces when it comes to promo. Um, I think that the difficulty of, you know, obviously being in a lockdown is like usually when something's released and there's all this excitement about it, then you get to like carry that excitement onto the road with you and play some shows or something. But we are living in different times. So um, I'm just kind of sitting with the energy and trying to get back to as many people I can and say thank you for their support of the album. Um, and I'm actually just working on new music because <laughs> there's like not that much else to do. Um, but, and I'm like such a workaholic and I have to be like being productive and moving on to the next thing. And if I can't do that in like a live sense, and if I can't see my label and my team, cause they're in Sydney, then I'm just going to write more songs. So I'm writing songs, um, in like zoom and audio movers sessions with my friend Gab, who's a producer. Um, and exercising hanging out with fam and my dog and going slightly insane along with everyone <laughs> else but you know it is what it is <laughs> is that gab as in japanese wallpaper mm -hmm. yeah he's also very very talented <laughs> it's good to hear you know it's a, a good a productive mind is a good mind and a good mind is a busy mind and it would be a great distraction to be away from I'm in New South Wales at the moment, and the oh, highlight the highlight of my day was was going to get some groceries and uh, just coming back here and doing it all again. But I start oh, a new job God. next week, and I'm very excited. So we'll see how we go. Fantastic! And you guys aren't, you know, you're not that far off. Like you've got your roadmap, and you'll blink and you'll be there. It's oh, yeah. it's gonna be okay. <laughs> oh yeah, it'll be fine. We just yeah, it is what it is, and we just got to do what we have to do. So generally. As, as the listeners are familiar, this podcast has two sections, good storytelling and the part where we have a good whinge wine sook. It's called Having a Bitchy with Mitchie. But I thought if we swapped it around and did it first this time, um, we might be able to like have a giggle and just sort of what's more for me because I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm an absolute buffhead when it comes to doing this. But I was just wondering, Greta, do you want to have a, a bitchy with Mitchie this week? I would so love to. That sounds fantastic. Now, you have the option. Would you like to go first or go second if you need to think of something? Or um, I reckon you should go first because then I can get a sense of, you know, what's to be expected, just the okay. general tone. Okay. Well, a lot of people uh, bitch about, like, traffic, whether it be driving or being cut off or whatever. But mine is um, my, my bitch has actually been made to laugh too hard to the point where it hurt. Um, so the other, the other week. That's great. Like, Oh, it was oh, it was ridiculous. Honestly, Curry Curry. I live in Curry Curry. The place so great. They named it twice, and it's home and mullet fest here. So you know that this place is full of absolute champions. <laughs> and just just the other week, I was just at the local service station, 
And I filled my car up and I used Bowser number two, as you do. And I walked in to pay for the fuel and there was a, a cranky little old lady in front of me speaking to the attendant. And she said, excuse me, where's the toilet to him? And he says, sure, it's just over there near the entrance. So I physically had to walk past this woman. Mm-hmm. And while she's still in earshot, this guy instinctively says the number of the Bowser out loud to whoever's approaching him. He just innocent, innocently says to me, number two. And she's still in earshot. She turned around and goes, no, as a matter of fact, you pervert, it's number one. What's it to you? <laughs> and holy, I honestly laughed that hard. Oh, my God. Um, that's, a, that's a brilliant, that's a positive story. It is. That's, that's a moment. You know what that is? That is like a, this happened like, it was very recent this happened, yes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that is like, a classic moment of just like, oh my gosh, we've all been inside way too long. We are so deprived of like human connection and spont- like spontaneity. Mm. Like it's just, you know, that moment I feel like would have been all the more enjoyable and hilarious considering that it's just like we don't have those little sparks of interaction right now. Yeah. And you really miss it. You do. I laughing, laughing through my mask that hard. <laughs> I was nearly sucking it into my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> But we all had a giggle and I don't think she realised how funny it was to this day. So she slammed the door. He looks at me and goes, so are you paid for that, mate? <laughs> but oh so, and but... I walked out of there. I felt like I'd, I just like sprinted a mile. It dead set. My chest was tight as butt. Got oh, I love that for you. Oh, my gosh. I would love to laugh that hard sometime soon. That would be, that'd be a gift. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, then, you know. Whatever I say is just going to be so dire. I don't think I, I quite understood the assignment. <laughs> it's, um, it's it's honestly, it's whatever makes you feel better, like getting anything off your chest, whether it be something like that or like a an issue that pisses you off. It's an open uh, discussion here. Oh, man. I mean, okay, here's... <laughs> <laughs> Put your really, I feel like everything is pissing me off right now. What's, just, what, what's really pissing me off this morning um, is that last night... I was having like a really shit night and I just spent way too long in the bloody um, kind of TikTok vortex and watching a bunch of videos and I was just like, I just feel miserable. I feel like I'm not being very productive, like that whole thing. And then I came across this video of this girl doing a headstand and then she was doing all of these like tricks with her legs, like in time to the beat of the song that was playing in the background. And I was like, I'm pretty good at headstands. Like, I haven't done one in a while, but I know I can do a headstand. Like, I know that's just, like, a weird random talent that I have. Like, some people find it really difficult. For some reason, like, me and my cousins, like, we're all just, like, we can, like, nail a headstand. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to, like, have one moment of, like, a tiny, minuscule hit of dopamine and remind myself that, you know, I'm a legend and I'm going to do a headstand. And I spent ages, like, just in this tiny, like, spot, on my bedroom floor trying to copy this TikTok. I have now had the worst sleep of my life and have woken <laughs> up with like a hugely stiff neck like all the way down to my shoulders and I am so sore and I like I reek of tiger balm just because I just woke up in so much pain. So that's what happens when you try and bring any kind of like newness on like niceness to your life in this period of time is that you wake up and and you're just like 10 times more miserable. So that's that's my winch. I'm like I'm so sore as I'm sitting here talking to you. So can't, we, you're like we can't even have nice things it's only bloody Tuesday. Now I smell like tiger bum for fudge's sake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a good time. Oh well, you know, I've learnt my lesson. <laughs> I just I honestly if me attempting a headstand would be an absolute disaster. And I don't think the amount of uh, TikTok, uh, the amount of like megabytes on my data plan would allow to record such a failure. So <laughs> all good. It's, uh, it's a task. It's just, yeah, I really, I shouldn't have done it. I'm just so stupid. But anyway. I, I recently <laughs> just got into TikTok and like, it, it's honestly, it's, it's so easy to do. Hey, like I just started, uh, got into, it's a page where they, it's like Zoom, Zoom, like Google Earth, and they zoom in on creepy things that people find on maps. Oh, I've seen some of those. And there was one like, uh, they've zoomed in like under a drain somewhere in the US and it kind of looked like a guy looked like Pennywise. I don't know if it's real or not. It's, it, you're sitting there and all going, oh, okay, I'll never want to visit that joint. <laughs> yeah, let's just delete those coordinates. No, thanks. I don't want to go there. Yeah, I have seen some of those and they're very strange. You know, it's a really weird app because like 
I feel like I see so many things on there that are hysterical that I like will be thinking about for the rest of the day because I think it's so funny. But then on the whole, if you are on the app for too long, you just have the most miserable day. Like I, it just, it kind of like simultaneously gives you these tiny little dopamine hits where you can acknowledge like this person's funny, that concept's hilarious. And then you just lose yourself in it and you're like, oh, but ultimately I'm just so sad. Oh. <laughs> you have to take... <laughs> You have to take breaks from the internet. Like, I just, oh my God. I think the thing that I'm so excited about when this is all over is that, like, there will be things and activity happening which will mean I'm on this freaking stupid thing less, so much yeah. less. And, like, I just, I have a very unhealthy relationship with it currently. And I think that's just because, you know, it's, it's, yeah, we're at a point with this now where it's just kind of like we just have to wait. Like, there's not really anything we can do. But go on TikTok and feel sad. So, um, well, you're right. Like, I was having a, a chat with a friend the other day, and he said, Bro, imagine this. Like, he made me brace on the table. He's like, Could you imagine going through this 30 years ago with no technology and that and landline calls? I looked at him and said, You're far too smart to be working here, champion. <laughs> 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 but oh my gosh it would have yeah, been interesting but it's yeah anyways so that would that's the bitchy with mitchy sex and i feel good i feel relaxed but I, feel, I, feel... I wish i could say the same but i'm so stiff <laughs> there's that tiger bum <laughs> it's gonna do a thing it's it'll work awesome so if we can share some stories that'd be great if that if you're up for it of course sweet so the first, the first question I'd like to ask guests is cast your brain back to as young, as young as you can remember. What was the okay. first thing you were ever a fan of, whether it be a singer, show, book, movie? Ooh, great question. Um, that's I was ever a fan of. Um, Mine hmm. was like um, cheese, the old cheese TV uh, cartoons on of the morning. Beautiful. Love that. Um, I feel like mine probably, it's, it was probably the beach, to be honest. The beach, Like yeah. I was really, I am really obsessed with the sea. Um, and I, when I was little, would just kind of like, my parents would take me down to the beach and like no matter the temperature, I would just be like, I'm just going in the water first thing, like let's go. And apparently one time I did that and it was freezing and my parents were just like, all right, she's just got to go and like, you know, face the reality and I came out and I started turning like blue like I was so cold but I was like Woo, the beach um so I think <laughs> and I still I still am like that like in every way like not only do I just like love to swim and and go to the beach and walk along the beach but also like I'm so deeply obsessed with like marine life and stuff like we'll be on like YouTube at 2am being like what if the megalodon is still alive like really into that kind of secrets stuff. of the deep <laughs> Oh, it gives me so much joy and excitement and like hope that there's something, I don't know. I think that like, it's, it's nice knowing that there are just, there's so much that we don't know about the ocean because mm. I feel like humans just have this, like, we know everything, like with the smart and stuff. And like, I know that they, that we are sure, but also like there are some beasts in the sea that no one knows about. And how cool is that? Yeah. It's, it's funny you say that because. Just before lockdown, I was recently in um, in New Zealand, in Wellington, and doing the the, the museum there. It's huge. And there is a, an exhibit on what was described as the world's largest ever, world's largest squid ever caught. And the size of this thing was huge. Hundreds of kilos. It was about four meters in height. And like, so cool. I, I'm looking at this thing going, man, the calamari on that would taste amazing. But that's the fat bastard in me. <laughs> Oh gosh! Um, yes. But anyway, that was my story, and I'm realizing that was in bad taste. No, it wasn't. I mean, I am a vegetarian, but you know, that's okay. (laughs) That's fine. Oh, swinging a miss, Mitch. Well done, you idiot. No, not at all. That is okay. But also, if you ever feel like maybe you should veer away from that. All you need to do is watch, like, I think it's called My Octopus Teacher. You know that Netflix special that everyone's raving about? Is I it, think that's I've, I've seen one called Seaspiracy, which was... Oh, yeah. That's about, different. That's like it, a doco on um, just in general, you know, okay. everything's good in terms of just, like, yeah, fishing, industries, plastic in the ocean, all of these terrible things. But My Octopus Teacher is actually really beautiful um, yeah. and about, like, a scuba diver who kind of goes out and develops this, like, relationship with an octopus and just, like, it just shows how smart those animals are. It's so. like th- three brains. They've got three brains and I've seen footage of octopuses, octopi opening jars from the inside. Like- oh, my God. They're so cool. I love them. Um, but, yeah, 
I mean, if you ever feel like maybe I don't want Kalmyra anymore, like there'd be very, there'd be many things that you Okay, want. I'll check it out. Thanks for the tip. <laughs> That's okay. You heard it here first, folks. All right, next question is, cast your brain back as well. You might have been a bit older at this point, but what was the genesis of your love for music? When did your love truly start? And what was the genesis of your, your music career? Sort of before high school, was it? Or was it at high school? or? Hmm. My love for music started when I was really little. Um, I never didn't love it. I listened to it all the time. Um, I think that I probably started becoming more in touch with it um, probably through things like films, to be honest. Like, I was so obsessed with The Wizard of Oz as a child. Like, I just wanted to be Dorothy. Every time there was, like, a dress-up day at school, I would always go as Dorothy. Like that was just, I just wanted to be that. Um, loved the sound of music so much. Um, yeah, and I was just constantly singing. Like every opportunity that I got to sing, whether it was in the car or around the house or like I'm going to pretend the coffee table is a stage and like stand on it when I'm four and put on a show for like whoever's around. Like that was, you know, that was my relationship with music initially. It was always very like imaginative because I just, you know, I wanted to to do this. I wanted to be a performer. So, um, but in terms of the career, like you don't actually start thinking about like your music career in a way that's like, oh, this could actually be a thing that happens until other people kind of take interest in the work that you're doing. Yep. I feel like it can all remain in your imagination until someone actually starts having like an opinion on the music that you're producing. And that started happening when I was in like my early teens. I'd been playing my family and friends songs that I had written for years and years. Like I was always like, here's a song I wrote. Here's a silly little thing that I wrote. Um, and then I worked with this incredible vocal coach, uh, Miriam Crellin at my old high school, Princess Hill. Um, and she took an interest in my songwriting and, you know, I would often bring her the songs when they were kind of in the process of being written and would get her feedback on, um, on them. And then she kind of said, I think maybe you could get some like good demos of these songs. So then she put me in touch with a producer um, and his name was Josh Barber and he is the producer behind my two EPs, um, you know, including Song Drive. So we really hit it off in terms of like our creative collaboration, which was awesome. Um, but yeah, so I did have like a lot of really wonderful things happen in the kind of lead up to having a song put out in the world and exposed in such a way that meant there were like eyes on the project. But I think that once that happens to you as an artist, you just, you need a second to like regroup and, and think about where you want to take things because there's a lot of layers to being an artist and there's a lot of things that maybe you don't really consider, like how you, how you want to present the project, like what about yourself you want to share and what, what parts of yourself maybe you want to keep more to yourself um with your audience and just yeah it's interesting you think it would just be as simple as like i'm just gonna be myself but like it's a really weird industry and i want to do this in the most humble and gracious way that i possibly can and i think that it's taken me like a while to um arrive at that place and i'll continue to learn and i'll continue to make mistakes and stuff but like sorry this is a very long answer but that's this basically is, this is good this is what we want so, yeah so it's like so you think the one of the um for lack of a better word one of the things or some you need to spin many plates to be successful for lack of a better term do you think yeah that's i think so enough. i mean i think that it's um uh i mean it's definitely not just about being able to like write a good song or like put on a good performance like there's so many different things that come with being able to well I think like I I would never want to just like have tunnel vision about one thing because you know if I just focused on like you know how I was executing my performance and I was just buried in the songs you know would I I, I need to there's more to that I need to make sure those things are like engaging with people I need to make sure that I'm like being open to people and that you know I'm inviting and that I'm a professional person that I'm good to work with like there's a lot of boxes to check and it's you know just something yeah, I, I would say like it is kind of, you know, an act of, of, of spinning a few plates. But like, I mean, it's just kind of, it's just what you have to do. And it's just a, it's just a learning process, I yeah. think. I think that, you know, there's there's so much that I don't know about the industry. I still feel like I'm, I'm an industry um, little baby in that sense. But um, yeah. Oh, fair enough. Well, Matt O'Kine, Hayley Mary, and I've got comedic friends in the U.S., and you have a, you said some things like that were similar to their answers in regards to like, you know, to stay relevant 
And like it's it's an evolving industry, whether it be music, acting, or whatever else it might be. And they all said similar to you is like, you know, you got to build your skills, you got to learn. And to get that tunnel vision can be restricted. And you know, if you if you get your heart set on, say, I don't know, getting that lead role in a movie or whatever, and you don't get it, then you'll be disappointed. But if you're probably a bad example to speak to a musician about, but it just it, it made sense to me just the way you put it. And you know, that's and if you're if you consider yourself like a junior in this regard like you're absolutely killing it so if you're doing this successfully now you know watch this space people it's gonna happen thank you very much that's okay so that's the genesis of your music so for you both in life personally professionally who's been a big influence on you both in your music and like for you as a person um music wise um i would say i really i spent a long time like predominantly looking up to Laura Marling, like around the time that I was kind of stepping into my artist project. Um, And I really turned to her music um, when I feel like I need comfort and like almost when I feel like I need advice. She has very wise lyrics and I feel like listening to her records is kind of like listening to the big sister that I never had, you know. Um, And so she's she's one of many songwriters that has been particularly influential. in terms of like my kind of personal life, um, I have to say my parents hugely. Um, my my mom is an education consultant, so she like teaches teachers, and my dad is a group work facilitator, so he kind of deals with conflict resolution in groups. So um, really solid um, people to have in your household. Um, <laughs> I still live with them, and it's it's I could go to either of them about anything and get wonderful advice either way. And I just feel like they do a really wonderful job at um, making sure that I'm being the best version of myself in a way that's not kind of like you have to do this because I'm your parent and I said so, but in a way that just kind of like, I just feel like I've had a really solid um, foundation when it came to kind of stepping into the industry and, you know, going into press and media and having to talk about myself and, and my personal life sometimes. And, you know, I think that, having really grounding parents um, meant that when it came to, yeah, it, it the industry, the music industry and being an entertainer, like it's a dangerous path, you know, like you can very easily get a, a big head or, you know, think about, I don't know, like the wrong things, prioritize the wrong things. And I never wanted to do that. And I just feel like I was really lucky to have my parents to look up to um, to help me stay grounded. Um, and yeah, and just approach this in the best way that I could. So I really do owe a lot to them, um, in terms of just how they've shaped me as a person. Yeah, that's cool. It's good to have, especially, you know, those closest in your life be so supportive. I mean, I mean, it's kind of hard for me not to have a big head because I have dad's head and it's, us Kellys are known to, (laughs) us us Kellys are known to uh, be big boneheads, but, uh, all good. So thanks dad. I, uh, I try to look up to him, but my neck starts to hurt. So. And you recently played with Keith Urban on The Voice. How was that? Yes. That's pretty exciting. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I can't even tell you how freaked out about that I was. I, like, yeah. rocked up and I was so nervous and everyone else involved was so calm. And I was just like, does any, like, <laughs> but it's Keith Urban. Someone Why is me? everyone not, like, running around, like, panicking? Um, no, I just, uh, I really respect him. I think he's a phenomenal songwriter. I listened to his music when I was growing up. Um, yeah, he's an icon, you know? And so Huge, massive artist, I, massive artist massive. and getting to like play guitar for like one of the best guitarists is like a very intimidating job. <laughs> and like, I wouldn't necessarily consider myself like a fantastic guitarist. Like I, I play guitar solely for the sake of being able to like have instrumentation when I'm singing. Cause like I'm a vocalist first and foremost, when it comes to like my musicianship, yep. um, and so with that gig, I was just like, oh, I don't know if I, like a bit of imposter syndrome, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> but also he's so lovely. He's so kind. And yeah, he's just like a really good spirited person. And like, I mean, I know a lot of people that work with him and stuff. And yeah, nothing but good things to say about Keith. And I cannot wait until I actually get to see him in concert one day because I haven't done that yet. And like, oh, I just, there would not be an ounce of negativity in that room. Like it would just be, so, the, the songs are so uplifting, you know, yeah. they're so happy. 
So, um, yeah. And, like, it's nice to see, you know, performers and people that you look up to doing so well. Like, you know, to see the success that those who we admire do so well, it's it's kind of like a little part of you as well. It's like, I'm with you there, buddy. I'm in the trenches with you. Let's do this. <laughs> so that's awesome, man. It's, it's really nice to hear. I'm, I um, was just curious, uh, what's a guilty pleasure when you're either on the road or you're at home that you can't live without? So like a Netflix favorite food or what's uh, what's one that Greta loves to to spoil herself with? Burritos. Love me some burritos, <laughs> man. Burritos forever. I like actually, I just, there's a video <laughs> on my phone of me just like giving my future self a pep talk about the importance of keeping burritos as a consistent source of joy in my life. <laughs> Good talk. I just like cook for no reason. <laughs> I was like, never give up on the burrito. Uh, yeah, I've eaten like so many burritos this year. I feel like there was a point last year where it was like burgers and burritos were kind of pretty neck and neck and then burritos just like took over by a mile. And um, yeah, so if if I'm ever sad, um, burrito is the way to go. But then the thing about if you get like an over... Um, like an overpacked burrito. It's so defeating and you just have to write off the rest of that day. <laughs> so, so, you know, it does it's you don't know what you're going to get. I think that's the exciting thing that's what keeps burritos new and interesting is that like, you know, you could get one that is just like this is a regular lunch meal. I can eat this and then I can just like proceed or it's going to absolutely knock you out and you just have no idea. So, yeah, that's my that's my answer. I just want to eat burritos forever. Here on Life's a Mitch, we talk burrito etiquette every week. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! Weird. For me, it's, for me, my nick, one of my nicknames is Mitty, and um, I was raised on chicken schnitzel, so it's always having a chicken schnitty with Mitty, and that's my little guilty pleasure. And when we go to the pub, a schnitty and a few pints. You're right, Mitch. You okay, man? I oh, mean, I'm just gonna have a sleep right here every time. <laughs> satisfied a satisfied man Nothing city, and i'm 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 happy it's it's fantastic incredible and, and so you know obviously before i mentioned you've played all over the world you know so australia england us and anywhere else i'm missing out um i was just wondering what's it can you cast your mind back to like a memorable gig or a venue that you truly vibed with and if so what was a cool story that goes with it mm, there are a few um i feel like i should say um oh you know what was interesting and i know this probably seems like a really typical response but i really was quite surprised by how comfortable I felt playing arenas with Mumford and Sons. Like, I think yeah. I thought that I was going to be really kind of not able to find my feet up there because, like, for the most part, it was just I played with my band in Melbourne and like one show in Sydney. Um, but like for the other shows, it was just me and my acoustic guitar. And I was like, how is this going to work? This is an arena. And, like, the funny thing was that I ended up just feeling so comfortable. And I could hear myself really well. And, yeah, and I feel like it's it's interesting because it's like you have to find a slightly new way to engage with an audience when you can't really see them. Like, you can't access them as easily yeah. um, because their faces aren't right there in front of you. So, um, yeah, but I think that it was a, a pleasant surprise that it was a comfort space for me to be um and to play and I just yeah I mean that's like the one time that I've gotten you know lucky enough to play arenas um and it was very cool so yeah I mean that's just a, a little cheeky humble name drop yeah it's Mumford and Sons you know it's, <laughs> this is really cool no that's fantastic to hear and I'm just curious can we talk about a little bit about your unearthed high experience is that okay absolutely yeah so you know and for the listeners out there I'll post the video of the moment at Matt and Alex uh, surprise Greta when she's at school and announcing her as the winner. It's truly an awesome few minutes of, uh, of, of footage, so check that out. But just want to cast your mind back. So was it five years ago now? Um, you submitted a track, Drive, to Unearth High. And, yeah. And then so from the time you had submitted it till you announced as a finalist, was it a long period of time? Like were you nervous or what was the thought process during that time? Um, do, you, was, do you remember how you felt or what you were thinking? Or Yeah, yeah. I mean, I found out I was a finalist um when I was landing into Melbourne after a show that I'd played as a part of Japanese wallpapers band because I was touring as a part of that band for a while yep um and so and he won like two years beforehand so it's really nice I got to share that with him actually um and so yeah landed open Facebook 
you're a finalist, how cool. I think it was like maybe a week or something, a week and a bit before um, they were planning to announce the winner. But the thing is, all of us finalists were all in a different state. So as soon as we got word of where Matt and Alex were in Australia, you would know who the winner was. So there was a real secrecy around like where they were located. Yep. Um, and so I didn't know. I'd actually played a gig with Gab the previous night. It was a ridiculous year. I um, We were playing <laughs> Festival Hall opening for Melanie Martinez. Like it was just a sneaky little support slot that, we got, that Gab got like, yeah, in that time when he was doing that headline tour. And we were just like, oh, my God, we're playing Festival Hall. Oh, my gosh, all of the amazing bands would be on this stage. Like just losing our minds in front of so many people. And I came to school the next day feeling like I don't give a, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, go for it. Okay, cool. I don't give a shit like who, like what happens today with Unearthed High. I am so, so grateful that I'm a finalist. I'm so grateful that I'm on tour with Gab. Like I'm getting to do the job that I've always wanted to do. Like I was just really happy and feeling awesome. Like, so I think because of that, I just had kind of, I'd stopped kind of worrying about <laughs> the result. Um, yeah. And I also was pretty convinced that like another act and like another finalist had it in the bag. I think I looked a lot at the the songs and thought about the kind of music that Triple J usually played like around that time. Um, and I was like, this is a five minute guitar song. Like, I don't really know if that's what they're going to want to um, like amplify um, in terms of these five acts, like, you know, it's a lot of that, like that time, I feel like the station was playing a lot more like electro pop. I feel like now there's like, so, there's a range of things. Like I'll turn on the radio and Clara will be playing. Oh, and then it's like dubstep. And then it's like, you know, all, it's crazy. It's very, you know, eclectic in that sense. But at the time I was like, I don't reckon that my song is just like sonically what they want for like the winner. Yeah. And I was wrong. Um, so yeah, I just, um, yeah, that's kind of the story. And like in terms of the video and the surprise and everything, like, yeah, I really had no idea. I'm like the most gullible little shit ever. And like, if you tell me something, like I'll just believe you. Like, I just won't question it. I'm like not suspicious. I'm very trusting. Yeah. Um, and so like they'd set up the whole room that day for my class in a way that would kind of suit the announcement. So they'd set up a camera. And so I walk into the room for class and I'm like, why is there a camera? And they were like, well, we're going to like film. What was the, <laughs> so what was the like excuse for that? They said that we're going to film um, everyone's uh, end of year performance because we were prepping for exams. We're going to film everyone's performance and then you're going to watch back your performance and like assess how you did, which is like a pretty believable concept. Yeah, that, that's a good know? cover. Yeah, and I was like, okay, huge. Like that's what we're going to do. We didn't know about this lesson, you know, and I, like I knew it was getting announced. Like in hindsight, it's like it's so dumb, but like, yeah, I was like, okay, fair enough. That's that's believable. Seems about right. Um, yeah, and so everyone got up and did their performance, and then I did mine. And then at the very end of the class, my teacher went, um, "Oh, my year eight class is here. Like my year eight songwriting class. Like there was a songwriting class for the little ones." And um, she was like, "Could you maybe play Drive like before we go to lunch?" And um, and just tell them a little bit about how you wrote the song. And I was like, again, sure. And then, like, as I'm playing Drive, I'm looking at everyone's faces and I was watching my peers, like my U12 peers, and one girl in particular was just, like, nodding along. And then she just, her face just, like, immediate shock, like, crossed her face. And I was like, what is, what is happening right now? <laughs> and then I as I'm playing... I started to realize like there's stuff going on behind me. It's going to be to do with unearthed high. What the hell? Oh, but so you, you knew, you knew. I did to pick up that like something was going on. And then when I saw Matt and Alex, like obviously I just like burst out laughing. But like the funny thing was my <laughs> my instinct was to just keep <laughs> keep playing. <laughs> like I just was because I was like, well, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep playing the song until they eventually like announced it. And it was very cute and very wholesome. But um. Yeah, good times. I had um, Matt on here whoa, about a month or two ago. And mm -hmm. um, so for the listeners, that's Matt was one of the two hosts of Triple J Breakfast himself and Alex Dyson. And like they had their little wigs on and the big Triple J unearthed high flag and oh, sort of creeping up. And then Alex does his, Greta Ray, you won. And the, 
just, it's an awesome moment. Please go back and check that out, guys. It's fantastic. So, and then, so the winner, then, well, congratulations is also due for that. Well done. That's fantastic. And then as a, as a winner, you then get, got to select to work with an artist and masterfully mix a song. Is that right? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, they're kind of like two different things. So basically there's, they assign you with like a mentor yep. um, to kind of, yeah, show you the ropes, I suppose, in terms of the industry. And I was buddied up with, um, with Meg Mack, who's yep. excellent. Um, and yeah, we, it was, it was really awesome. Like we went out for coffee a couple of times and, you know, just, she just kind of spoke to me about what, what the industry was like. And that was before her record low blows came out. And I feel like that record just like took off and she was playing all of these like incredible shows. So it was really cool to kind of get her insight into the industry, like before that even happened to her. Um, and yeah, uh, with the recording that was, um, yeah, the part of the prize is that you go into ABC studios and you record a new song. And I was like, look guys, I haven't really been writing that many songs. Like I've written drive and, um, I've been doing school, so I don't really have a lot of tunes up my sleeve so I just was like I'm just gonna write a new song like for the sake of this um thing that they want me to do so I was like it was very it was probably just like the most stressful month ever it was like I was writing this song I also really wanted like because it was going to be the follow-up I was like it has to be excellent Kingsmill has to like it etc etc so yeah. I'm like putting all this pressure on myself to make this song that I'm proud of. Like, and then I, I was on my way to ABC Studios in Sydney with my mum, like hotspotting my phone to my laptop so I could send off like a photography essay that I had finished in the car, like on the yeah. plane. Or, like it was just like, oh, anyway. And then I like sent off the essay and I was like, time to go to work. <laughs> like it's just, and then yeah, smash out the song in a weekend. Um, Song called Unwind. Did it with Greg Wales. And um, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, just that's that's. Fantastic. Fantastic. Oh, I just got to knock it. Hang on. Wait, 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 wait. I'm all yours, guys. <laughs> I can't tell you. Like, the, the yeah, I was kind of like two different people that year a bit. But then also I felt like it so deeply bled into the narrative of my artist project that even when it came to, like, releasing my album recently, it's like there's still obviously that narrative about, like, you know, where I came from, I suppose, and, and the story of it all starting when I was in high school and rushing around trying to finish exams. And yeah, and I, I love that. Like, I'm so lucky that I got that start. But I think with the music growing up with me now as well, it's definitely kind of like, okay, well, image wise, you know, I'm not 18 anymore. You know, I'm 23. Shit's happened, you know, like in It does. Life. Shit's going and, down. It's done pandemic yeah, as well. And, there's there's experience like you know I mean there's this there's experience up until this point you know there will be more but like right now I feel like I I just I don't feel um very close to the person that I was when all that stuff happened because it was like five years ago and I just feel like yeah a lot's happened since then um and so when it came to like putting out the record I just really hoped that I that that translated and I think it has I I think that it has I think people get it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not like Triple J Unearthed High Greta that wrote Begin to Look Around, you know, like, yeah, there's, there's some things that have happened since then. Well, that just means, you know, you're evolving as a person. Like I was having a convo with a friend, like I'm in my very early thirties, so I don't like to say too much, like just having like a, uh, we haven't like a discussion at work because I'm a shift worker. And sometimes if the gear's down, we just sit in the crib and we chat and play cards and stuff. And it's just like going over the timeline, like what were you like in your 20s, in your 30s? And high school Mitch was an absolute grub. 31-year-old Mitch is just a pest. <laughs> so I've, I've transcended into this guy with Lisa and I'm just a baller and fatter version of myself. But you still still to you, to my core, you still remain that 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 person who, you know, has these uh, to me, I still have aspirations to go big with this and the mining career is, is also a great way to, to get by. But mm. to my core, I've, all, I've always loved to entertain. I, I did drama at school and stuff. I've never musically talented at all. I um, But I just, you know, the idea of, of following through with the projects and, you know, to actually have the kahunas to go, you know what, this is for me to have the stones to upload a song and then propel yourself into your, you know, early 20s and to release an album. You know, I, I nothing but mad respect for those who have, you know, the courage to step out of their comfort zone and do it again and again. And I was about to say, well, fast forward to your album, but just wanted to say a huge congratulations. Like, begin to look around. Fantastic album. It's been on regular rotation of mine 
since its release. And so for those of you who are yet to get around it, it's been described as a bold, layered, colourful pop album made over 2019, 2020, recorded in Melbourne, Sydney and London, your second secondary adopted home of London. And I was just going to ask, so recording over the three big cities, and if I've left that anywhere, I apologise. What were some of the advantages of recording in different countries and getting a different sense of, you know, the world as you were recording? Yeah, um, I think that, okay, so for the most part, the record was recorded in Sydney. Yep. Um, in terms of getting, like, the bulk of the record done, it was it was done with Robbie Desar in, in Sydney. Um, in terms of the things that happened in Melbourne, it would have been, um, like, co-production stuff. So how I made this record was I did a lot of co-writing sessions. I loved the demo so much and felt like they captured a very specific like present energy that I, I wanted to just like directly, like directly make sure I had in the final versions of the song. So I made sure that when it came to kind of beefing the songs up production wise, that we would still use um, those original stems from the demos. So basically we just got all of the um, co-writers and producers that I'd worked with to write the songs um, got them all sent to Robbie and then we would bring up the session of the demo and just basically sit there and go, okay, how can we make this better? Um, and sometimes we would be like, I don't know how we're going to make this better, but then we like would every time. It was a very interesting, exciting uh, challenge that we had, I guess. Um, yeah, so I think that when it came to the parts that were recorded in Melbourne, it was like Kieran Daniel wrote a bunch of the songs with me and I really love his production. I feel like it's so cinematic and, cinematic, and I really wanted those elements in the songs still. Um, so we used a bunch of those stems. So it, you know, they, the songs became like co-productions between Kieran and Robbie and Josh Barber, who made my EPs, um, he recorded The Cure with me um, at the Avery Studios in Melbourne. And then, you know, Robbie and I finished it off in Sydney. And then in London, um, there was a song that I made on the record called Love Me Right that I started in London with Matt Hales. Um, and also Gang of Youths have additional production credits on a song called Worldly Wise, and they have a studio in London. So that's yep. kind of like where all those bits and pieces come together. And it's really nice because like the majority of the record was written across those three cities. So I feel like in terms of you know, there's bits of all of those cities like within the record, which I love very much. That's good. Cool. You referenced London quite a lot in that song too. So, you know, it's it's nice to hear. I, I spent uh, about 12 months living abroad in the UK, spent a bit of time in London and up to Liverpool, but just um, I'm from uh, Newcastle and it's not really that, oh, it's not really that busy here and getting to London like the tube and just the vibrant nature of the city, it's a uh, it can be almost overwhelming, but you know, it's it's good to hear that you're able to go overseas, do your thing, and have a great time doing it. And I was just curious. I'm so lucky about, that I got to do that before COVID stole that from so many people. The damn pesky virus feeding can enough to kick it square in the in the nads. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just was curious. Um, one thing that I thought was really cool was you, you've come up with an innovative way to release your music this year. With the duology strategy, I was just curious, what was the inspiration behind that? And what how did how did that clever idea come to fruition? Um, the duologies concept came about through basically I realized that um on my EP here and now, which came before the record, um, I had written unintentionally what I used to refer to as sister songs. So there are two sets of sister songs on Here and Now. There's Drive and and Towers, which are like two songs that are about the kind of all-consuming nature of a romantic relationship in maybe like an unrequited sense. Yep. Um, and then there are two songs, Radio Silence and Time, which are about the same heartbreak, but one's very kind of like devastated and the other is more like melancholic and optimistic. So, um, yeah, I think I... I thought about that concept and I was really wanting to to find a way to share this album with people that a meant I could spotlight the songs a little more rather than doing the traditional rollout of like single couple of months single couple of months and then full album 15 songs one more lead single like it just wasn't going to do justice to the narrative of the record like I have a lot of stories to tell and also I was kind of shifting genres so I really wanted to have a few chances to like rope my audience back in especially when like I hadn't seen him in a while can't play any shows done a lot of growing there's shifts and I want to make sure they feel welcomed into those changes um, so yeah, with the duologies, I got to, um, kind of hone in on the themes of the record because each duology, each pair of songs has a theme, like a different theme. Um, and each song on the duology kind of, you know, talks about that topic from like a different angle, I suppose. Yep. So, um, yeah, that was kind of like 
just wanting to continue that idea that I had like unintentionally started on here and now and realized that I was still kind of doing it when I was writing for the album. And I was like, oh, there are some songs that actually pair up really naturally. Um, yeah. And that, that's kind of the story behind it. And I'm so glad that we did it now because it's like you, you learn so much about how your audience digests music when you drip feed something. Because, you know, with how different each duology was, I could really get a sense of what people get in touch with and like dependent on like you know what age group gravitates more towards something and less towards something else you know duology three was just like a heartbreak duology and like it was probably tapping into the more like adult contemporary side of my project um the songs were really lush you know there were more organic instruments used in the production um and then duology two was like quite daring production wise because it was just like really like the most pop stuff that i'd done for the record um and the visuals were kind of a little bit more bold and daring and like yeah i don't know i think that it was really nice to be able to see what people engaged with and and what people understood instantly what took people a little bit of time um yeah and so when i when the record came out it just kind of felt like it it made sense by that point what I was doing. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a, a marketing masterstroke, like little digestible parts. And then here's the main course. You've had these, you know, amazing entrees. Here you go, everybody. Enjoy. That's fantastic. Aww, I um was talking to my friends, Ava and Demi, so, you know, huge Greta Ray fans as well. And Aww. we're talking about the song Paris. And it just it feels like it was created from pain, but at the same time it's so beautiful and hopeful. And I was just curious the concept about Paris, how did you come up with this track? Thank you. Um, Paris was a really interesting one. It was a really great session. It was my second session with Kieran and um, we were having lunch before we started writing and often like that pre-session lunch is when you have the conversation with your collaborator and you land on what you're going to write about that day if you don't already have an idea. So I was kind of asking a bit about his life and he told me that he had lived in Paris for like three months or something. And said that, like, at a point he was going through a bit of a rough time. And I said something, like, really stupid and naive, like, oh, but, you know, surely it was kind of romanticised whatever you were going through because of the fact that you were in Paris. And, of course, he was like, no, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I was kind of like, okay, fair enough. And then I kind of got to thinking, I was like, why did I say that, though? And then I thought about when I had been in Paris um, for the first time in 2018 with my girlfriends and stepping out into a Paris morning um, onto the street, looking at all the beautiful buildings, um, going to get coffee, going to get like bread and cheese and how how much I was so focused on romanticizing every single thing that I did it just because I was in Paris. And I was like, this this is like an iconic city. Like there's a real feeling to it because there's this excitement that that's where you are. But then also if someone was to tell you you're not in Paris, you could probably objectively look at parts of it and be like, this is a little bit kind of gross. And how you gone? Dude, the like, subway absolutely like, stank in my experience. Yeah, totally. Or like this person was a bit rude to me or I couldn't find, like, you know, there's there's parts of it that are kind of daunting and, and uncomfortable as well. But, yeah. you know, there's this, there's this kind of like ever-present silver lining because you're in Paris. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about breakups and how going through a breakup, you kind of go through very similar um very similar feelings to like being in a foreign place because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm out of my depth, this thing, like I've had the rug pulled from from underneath me. Um, but then you're also like, oh my gosh, but I'm independent, I'm on this journey, like I'm going to get stronger, I'm going to just like be the best version of myself. And you kind of just go back and forth between those two things and it's really up and down. Yeah. Um, and so I was going through that kind of, you know, series of emotions at that point in my life and just wanted to make Paris be like a metaphor for that. Um, But because it was kind of like quite in depth in terms of those two things, the whole time I was writing it, I was so like, I cannot for a second drop the ball because people have to understand what I'm trying to say. So I was like, every lyric really, really matters. Everything has to make sense. Everything has to feel interesting but accessible like it was just a real task trying to complete that song because I had such a such an idea that I really wanted to get across to um but it was so nice because like the way the the piano that that Kieran brought up at the start of the session I was like that's it that's totally it like that this is this is going to be beautiful and then he built this beautiful demo 
And then, yeah, I just remember recording the vocals and being like, oh my gosh, I love making this record so much. Like it was one of those sessions that just felt so, like everything really fell into place and that I was just really proud of what I was making. So I'm I'm really glad that kind of, it, it's essentially the title track, I suppose, because it's yeah. got the lyrics begin to look around in it. Um, yeah, so that's the story of Paris. I'm very excited to play it live. Now, we, well, you nailed it. And so did we, because you said it was created from both like, you know, heartbreak and breakups and also, you know, this optimism and it's like, you know what, I've got this. Yeah. So it was created from pain, but it's yet beautiful and hopeful at the same time. Hell yeah. yeah thanks so much. So that's okay. But this is, this is absolutely a sheer privilege. And uh, so you, you spoke about working with producers like Robbie, Dylan and Kieran, you know, so Robbie's worked with some some acts, you know, across the Australian artists, international artists, as well as yourself. And so, you know, they're probably in the, in, in the industry for a fair bit of time and know their craft quite well. I was just going to ask you, whilst your time working with these guys, and there are many more people that I could probably talk about as well, but just what are some of the things that you've learned from them and, you know, going forward, some things that you could use, some tools that you might be able to use going forward as well, do you think, mm, if, um, that, if that makes sense? Yeah. No, it totally does. Um, I feel like they all taught me, um, I think the thing about working with other writers is that like you bring out, you know, melodies that it's kind of like, all right, obviously I'm going to pick this kind of melody or obviously I'm going to take it on this like wild path. For me, I love songs that feel pretty jam-packed and lush in terms of melodies and ideas and stuff. And I think when writing pop music, as much as that's really cool and authentic, you also do have to give people a sense of familiarity, comfort, and, you know, that's often found in, in repetition and moments of space and moments of simplicity. So you you achieve this, this sense of balance, I suppose. Um, and that's something I didn't know the first thing about when it came to writing pop music. I think I'd accidentally stumbled upon those techniques in songs I'd written by myself, like Drive, for example, the repetition in the chorus is the thing that really... And, and the middle eight, like that's that's the thing that hooks crowds in, you know, like that's that's what kept people going back to that song. And so, yeah, that's really important. And I feel like all of those writers were able to kind of follow my ideas in a sense that they were like, this is very you, this is very like specific to your style and your project. But how about we just like make this, like with the chorus of Paris, for example, that was going to go like hectic it was so full initially. And then I remember Kieran being like, it's cool, but I think now, like, we we want people to see Paris in this moment of the song. So I think we need to focus on trying to get some more rhymes in there and, like, that melody is really good, so let's just, like, do that a few times. And then, you know, we got the chorus that exists now. So, um, yeah, just editing in that sense um, and finding that balance so you can kind of, yeah, the songs are more welcoming and more inviting. That's like a big thing that I learned from all of them. Um, and I think also just like writing pop music is so fun because, you know, you get this this opportunity to just make something that's like big and bold and exciting. And like, I think I spent a lot of time maybe not realizing how much I had boxed myself into a girl that plays guitar corner. You know, and like, that's fine and that's lovely, but I have a lot to say. I want to make big songs. And when I was little and, you know, on the coffee table as a four-year-old, was I thinking about being kind of pretty quiet and like tame and staying the same? No. Like, I wanted to play fucking massive shows. That's oh, what shit, I wanted yeah. to do. So <laughs> I'm going to make music that hopefully carries me to that place and I'm going to work to a point that carries me to that place. And so, yeah, I think that that was really validating when you work with people like Dylan, Kieran and Robbie, where you make a, a particular move in terms of like something that you add in production wise and you're like, oh my God, that's so awesome. It's just so on the, it's almost on the nose or something like in Love Me Right, there's this little kind of synth drop before the second chorus. And I remember when I heard it for the first time when Dylan put it in the track, I was like, Oh my god, I love it so much. I can't believe that we're making Club Banger. What a plot twist. Never could have seen myself doing this. And so, yeah, they're wonderful. I'm so glad I got to make the record with people who were just so creatively switched on, so passionate, and made a lot of room for me to tell my stories and also push myself to, to make a record as bold as, as begin to look around. Yeah. That positivity is so infectious. I'm sitting here with a big grin on my face going, fuck Aww. yeah, you tell it. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was one of the reasons I, I wanted to ask you on is because you are a fantastic storyteller, um, oh. you know, in your songs. And like, I've also been doing some digging on your socials because I followed you for a while. And um, over the last year, you have reviewed, was it nine albums of other artists or yeah. so? And this yeah. time around, this was cool, another marketing masterstroke. Um, you actually got other friends, uh, artists, musicians, and and some friends of yours. So people like Amy Shark, Japanese Wallpaper, Missy yeah. Higgins, Claire Bowditch, Gang Use. And you all got them to review a song each from your album. I was just yeah. curious, where did this clever idea come from? And what was some of the feedback you got? Uh... Thanks for asking about that. I worked so hard on this piece of content. Um, oh, the idea came from my head. Um, I was thinking about how I could. <laughs> That's like, I was thinking about how I could. Um, basically, I'd had a few people message me or like say in like a live Instagram thing, like, "Oh, can we get a track by track review of Begin to Look Around?" Because people had become really attached to these track by track reviews of other albums that I was doing. But I was like, okay. My idea, like, you can obviously see how much I love talking about the process of making the album, and I've really enjoyed getting to talk about it so much in press and interviews, and it's awesome. But when you kind of break down, like, I was just, you know, talking about how obsessed with all of these other albums that I was, and I was like, I can't really imagine doing that for, like, my own record, you know? Like, I just, I feel like, I don't know. Like, obviously, I'm biased. I worked really hard on it to make it as good as I could make it, but mm, I just couldn't think of how to approach it in a way that was going to actually engage people. Um, And then I was like, but there is something in this. Like, I still want to give them a track by track. What can I do? And I was like, I know what I can do. I'm going to, because I knew that James really loved the reviews. Um, I knew that, like... Um, a lot of people had, like Amy had messaged me about how much she was loving the reviews as well. And so I was like, I can just ask these friends of mine who I know love music just as much as I do. And they will give a really interesting take on the songs because they care about production and they care about, yeah, how to like share stories with people. So how cool would it be if I just assigned them a song each? And oh my God, to gather those 15 people, it was a task. Like I had to make a lot of phone calls and you know I really wanted to to kind of make sure that you know these are these are people who have really busy lives that I admire and respect so much and to ask them to do this for me felt like a massive favor for them to do that for me and so I really I really wanted them to be involved but I wanted them to yeah I just wanted it to feel like really good and um yeah, so uh, that's kind of, we, we eventually I got all the videos um, that they sent through of them kind of reviewing a song each. I told them, you know, what song I would like them to, to do and then I, I edited them all in Final Cut and now we're drip feeding that as little episodes um, so people can, yeah, see what their thoughts on the songs are, which is that's really good. nice. I'm really, I love them very much. I'm very grateful that they all did this for me, so. Yeah. yeah, good. Like, just it's coming like Avengers Assemble. Okay, you get this. You're like Oprah. You get a song. You get a song. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of like a lot of the time made sure that the song that I chose for them was somewhat specific to them. Um, so with The Cure, I really wanted Ben from Mumford and Sons to review that because I had played him the demo like the day after I made it and I was in the studio with him the following day. And after I, and I played him The Cure and he was like, yeah, best song you've ever written. And so, like, obviously I kept that in my head and I was like, I really want to hear what Ben thinks of, like, the final version of this song. Um, yeah, and, like, with Gab, like, you know, becoming the intro, it's just kind of like a production piece. It's an instrumental. And so I knew that he would give a really good take on that. And, like, Bruno and and, and Jack Garrett with the songs, I just realised I'm giving away the songs people are doing, but that doesn't matter. Um, yeah, with Bruno and Jack Garrett, I gave them, like, the kind of nerdiest songs because they're like the nerdiest musos ever. Like they're yeah. so, so intelligent. And so I knew that they would really dig into like what made the songs really kind of like, yeah. I, so that's that's kind of how I approached it. Oh, shit, yeah. Look at you. Baller move. <laughs> I'm, fuck yeah, that's awesome. I So I, I, I watched the stories, uh, was it two or three days ago by the time this is recorded? Uh, Japanese wallpaper gave his, and I, I love when Claire Bowditch did hers. So she's listening. She's like, "There's one part I don't like about this song when it oh, finishes." When it, when it finishes. 
Now, I I'm of the similar opinion, not just with the with like one specific track, but the whole lot. This oh. album is fucking awesome, and I think you should be very Thank proud. You. Thanks so much. I'm really glad you like it. I'm so grateful for the response that it's gotten. Like it's blown me away. I think at a point I just ruled out so many like so many things that could be brought about by the release of this record because of the circumstances of the pandemic. Like Aria charts, I was like, nah. And then that happened, I was like, wow. Killing really? it, by the way. Thank you. But just, I think, you know, when you can't see people in person, you can't see or feel, you know, their love for the songs in like a live show moment. Yep. You know, it is kind of hard to convince yourself that it's like, oh, this thing that I spent years and years working on is actually, it's it's working, it's engaging people. And so I think that when that can actually happen, who knows when, it's just going to feel really amazing to all be able to be together and celebrate these songs together. Um, yeah, so what a time. Well, I know I'll be there when you're touring. Um, yes, for sure. please. And there'll be a few of my friends here from Newcastle, so if we have to go to Sydney or whatever, we'll be there for Have-ing. sure. How did the COVID hot pot? Let's go. <laughs> oh, straight out of the hot pot, straight into the uh, into the. There's a lot of there's a lot of good gigs, uh, venues between here and Sydney. So if you if when you pop up in one of those, I'll be there for sure. I'm so um, desperate to play a show in Sydney because I made the record there. Like the whole community that kind of saw me do that, like yeah. is there. So I really feel like I owe it to to those people. Fair enough. Oh, well, thinking of you guys in lockdown everywhere, um, especially yeah, those too. in Melbourne, Sydney. Um, you know, my heart goes out to you all. All right, so when when COVID finally does piss off, you know, sweep it under the rug, fuck off, we don't want anything to do with you, um, what would that then look like? Touring, releasing more music, um, or just at the sort of like, is it a base-by-base, case-by-case uh, thing where you, you'd see where it's safe to play and et cetera, et cetera? Oh, um, hmm. I mean, I would love to play as many shows as I possibly could. Like, yeah. I've always wanted that, though. Like, I, I want to be a touring artist. It's it's what I've always wanted to get to do. Um, and so whenever that does happen, of course, I will throw myself headfirst into that. Um, and then I also would love to go back to America. Um, I really want to go back to L.A. <clears throat> and Nashville and do some more writing over there. Um, and I really want to go back to London as well um, and just kind of reconnect with that city as well. So I think, you know they're on my list of things to do um and whatever you know is the safest first then you know i'll I'll follow that i think that there's still a lot of uncertainty around what's going to be best but i mean obviously as soon as i can play shows in australia i will because you know the market here is just obviously like everyone's so supportive and so engaged with the songs and i am immensely grateful for that and um I want to give them a really good show. Um, and yeah, so when that can happen, that will be the first thing on my list. <laughs> well, awesome. I am, um, well, from the bottom of my heart, I'm extremely grateful for your time. I just want to ask you one more question and then plug the streaming services and the album. But I was curious, you know, as someone who has humble beginnings and is important to stay true to herself, because I can see how genuine you are and down to earth, just based on this conversation, like it's, it's really like nice to see that humble brag. There's someone out there. There are people out there, especially artists who are as kind as what I am. Like it's, it's absolutely infectious and it absolutely makes it a sheer pleasure to have a conversation with someone that not only deserves all the accolades, but is truly thankful for them. So, you know, thank you. That no, means you, me. I'm you're, very, you're welcome. Um, so for someone who has absolutely gone off in a direction career wise, uh, in terms of like shooting up fame and all this sort of stuff and stay stay grounded. For those of out there who might be thinking, you know what, I'm going to take inspiration from this story. Maybe I'll try my hand at the music industry. Obviously, it's a different circumstance now, but what advice would you give to someone who's aspiring to, to maybe go on a similar trajectory as yourself? Uh, I mean, well, right now, the first thing I would do would be give them a big hug because what a shit show. Um, um yeah I mean it's just it's oh I hate to see it I just have been so sad when I've seen things like Big Sound get cancelled and just like all of these you know things that offer opportunities to emerging artists to kind of give them a platform and a moment where they can kind of you know expose their project and and yeah and create an audience and stuff so um, but I think that the, the advice, I always feel like odd giving advice because I feel like I just have so much to learn. Um, but something that 
I think is really, really important is that you you just keep making things, like you keep creating music. Like I, I really feel like there's not going to be anything to carry if the fixation is is so much on how you are portrayed, making sure your face is stamped on every single thing that you do making enough TikToks, putting enough photos on Instagram. I know that that's like a fantastic marketing tool and that's great. And of course, like we all have to do that, but that's not the leading thing. The core of whatever you want to do as an artist is to nourish your musicianship, um, to learn from other creatives and to put yourself in creative situations that challenge you as an artist where you can learn um, and, and to enjoy that and to enjoy that growth. And like, I think right now, I mean, I'm writing music again in lockdown and the relief that it is bringing me is just unmatched, you know, because I will always love to talk about the music and post and to promote it. And I love connecting with people on the internet, but it's like, I wouldn't be able to engage people in that sense if I didn't have the the passion for the actual creativity that I have. And I think that it can, it can just, it's so easy to lose it because there's so much pressure on like, make sure you're doing all these things. Otherwise you're not going to get very far. Make sure you're, you're checking all the right boxes. Like just love your music, you know, listen to music that you love. Just keep celebrating the core of what this is. Cause I think that that makes for a project that can continue to be carried. I want a long career. I, I want to be a long-term artist that makes big records and goes on big tours um, and the way that I'm going to do that is if I continue to retreat back to the core of the project, which is just nurturing the craft and the art and learning as much as I can. So that is the advice that I would give to like anyone thinking about doing this, just because it makes me sad when I think about all of the distracting elements um, of, of being in the music industry, though they are somewhat important. They are never as important as the songs. And so, um, yeah, that's my piece of advice. Hope that it helps someone out there. Oh, and, shit, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I just, uh, you know, I always say as well, like to people, so the listeners I'm grateful for, like I, I, um, I'm just a, a coal miner and I'll be doing this about five months. So I've, I got to meet the guys from Scrubs. I, 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 so I first went on Mastermind TV show. It's a game show and I wore a Scrubs onesie on there. And, yeah. and I, I, and I, my, I had Mark Finelli in stitches. He was one of my guests and we vibed. And then someone tagged Zach Braff, Donald Faze on Turk and JD from Scrubs in it because that the, the ones he says fake doctor's real friend which is their podcast and then from that uh, it sort of went viral it was about 600k views or whatever and then uh-huh. i woke up to in my instagram inbox donald Faison's like hey man do you want to come on our podcast i'm like Aww. um yes so i did and i had them giggling and carrying on like a like a group of absolute champions and from that from that point then i topped charts because people were digging the vibe and all that come from is what you said it's like you just keep creating, you do what feels good. Like you embrace it, you learn, you collaborate and you keep going. And I still get goosebumps to this day because like, I, I just, I'm so humbled and like for a, a little guy in a, in a, a hall truck carrying on like an absolute pleb, it's, it, it means the world. And I just had my first article written about me in a paper and it's Aww. like, thank you it is and i still i'm just about to tear up and it's like it it, it can all happen if you have you know the courage to stand up and i'm going to go a little leave my comfort zone a little bit so if you've got spare time out there guys please create there's no point taking the best ideas to the graveyard because humanity and yourself will benefit from it so if if there's a project you're putting off whether it's you know learning how to play the guitar or write songs or build a shed whatever it is i guarantee you that you will feel fantastic at the end of it and i get to speak to people like greta and this is awesome and i'm fantastic i feel (laughs) i've been fantastic (laughs) i'm mitch kelly (laughs) oh dear oh gosh what a way to go out but so guys, uh, I just too good. It's priceless. <laughs> <laughs> so Greta, thanks again. The album is called Begin to Look Around, streaming everywhere. Check out her socials. I'll include uh, the YouTube clip in the bio, the correct spelling to her socials. Or was it Insta, Twitter, Facebook, and her website as well? Um, so keep an eye on the content, the more reviews coming out from other artists and some more of Greta's friends. And thank you, Greta, for everything. And if is, is there anything that you'd like to say closing out? or Just thanks so much for having me and for the good chats. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. And as guys, I appreciate you all listeners. And if you want to give me a review on Apple Podcasts, do that. Check out, have a giggle, and mm. um, you know where to stream. And I hope to see you all in the next one. Bye for now.